Hello, survivalists. Welcome to another episode of The Crux. I'm your host, Tessa King, and I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful, lovely sister, <laughs> Casey McIntosh. Today, we have another wonderful story for you. The story of Lorraine Johnson, who has taken an evening walk in sunny California early spring when she stumbled across a surprising foe. Fifty-year-old Lorraine Johnson was hiking on a sunny spring day in Franklin Canyon Park, which sits between Los Angeles and the Santa Monica Mountains. Lorraine hiked in this park regularly. In fact, she did several times per week, oftentimes going out right after work, evening hikes. On this particular Friday, when our story takes place, she hadn't told anyone about where she had planned on going. You know, it's usual. She goes out after work. Like, no big deal. Mistake number one. Yeah. Guys, if you learn anything from us, it's to always tell people where you're going and to what? Never hike alone. But anyway, back to her story. We'll continue the lecture later, guys. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> we'll really beat it in for you. <laughs> to make matters worse, we're this location is it's so close to the city but yet there's very little cell phone service within the park so close yet so far away exactly we know we know where this is going yeah i mean you can understand where she's coming from she's like i'm close to civilization no big deal like it's just like a couple miles after work no big deal who cares i think about this every day that i walk my dog like what if you fall down i mean Okay. Yeah, I mean, you might as well it. be walking around your neighborhood. Like, what's the big deal? Sure. It's right there. It's right there. Lorraine started hiking around 4 in the afternoon. And even though it was later in the day, it was about 80 degrees. Lorraine was wearing shorts. She was not very far into the trail when suddenly she felt a strike from a snake. What? Yeah. It was camouflaged on the trail. And she had stepped right on a rattlesnake. Oh, my gosh. Right on it. And she didn't hear it rattling until she was already on it. So a lot of times you hear, oh, well, it will always rattle before it strikes. Warning. Exactly. And not only did it strike once, it struck her again in the ankle. Ah. Oh. And she started to feel the effects within seconds. Blurred vision, unsteady legs, and she was filled immediately with a sense of panic. That's terrible. Yeah. I'm sorry for all of you people that live where there are snakes that bite you with poisonous venom. It sounds like there are a lot in California, so sorry, California. The rattlesnake had bitten her twice and then disappeared back into the brush. She couldn't help but think, this is not good. This could be it. So this is how I'm going to die. So how far away from her vehicle was she at this point? She wasn't very far into the trail at all. It was pretty much the beginning of her hike like within the first half mile or something sure and of course these don't tell us the exact yeah bits people... and pieces but it makes it sound like she hadn't been out very far at all like just a couple steps oh there's a snake this is this is an important detail i really need to know okay can yeah. you find that for me fact check <laughs> where's our fact check <laughs> um initially she felt no pain because she was filled with adrenaline and fear and probably shock oh yeah for sure Paralysis set in, and her eyesight warped. She collapsed right on the trail, unable to move her legs. A burning pain radiated up her left side. 
Unfortunately, the snake that had bitten her had venom that had a hemotoxin. Do you know what that is? Something that's toxic to your hemoglobin? Uh, For the regular people out there. For, you know, part of your red blood cell that carries oxygen? There you go. Thank you. Toxins that destroy red blood cells. Not good. And a neurotoxin. What does that do, Casey? Mm, Well, it's not going to be good for sending nerve signals. I can't say Mm -hmm. that. Hold on nerve signals yeah so the neurotoxin is toxins that damage nerves surprise which might cause paralysis or inability to move knowingly or on purpose yeah so this is a really bad combination not all venom has both the hemotoxin and the neurotoxin the hemotoxin and the neurotoxin not only was the venom rupturing her blood cells but it was also jamming up nerve signals. And it's not just directly at the site because it was affecting her breathing. Oh my goodness. Like pretty quickly within like a few minutes. Yeah. So pretty crazy. It's not just right at the site. It's messing with nerve signals and other parts of the body. So she can't get up and she can't breathe. Yeah. So this type of venom can start melting tissue, melting tissue near the wound within six hours. Oh, gross. Yeah. Here's the other thing that probably most people wouldn't think about is that your nervous system controls literally everything. So not only was this venom breaking her red blood cells, but it's going to affect her diaphragm. Yeah. Potentially. Uh I mean, I'm not, I don't know for sure. Maybe it only mostly affects the area where the venom goes in, but this just said her respiratory system, not her lungs. So anybody who knows about venom, hit us up. Yeah, I was just thinking in terms of all of the nerves and all of the nerve actions. And yeah. if you don't have nerves, you don't have muscle. Yeah, and if she can't stand, you would guess that her diaphragm would not be working very well. Anyway, just... I digress. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm not a doctor, but <laughs> I might as well be. I just pretend sometimes. <laughs> I play one on TV. I love it when people say that to me, just <laughs> as a side note. Yeah. Lorraine was really lucky because a couple hikers came across her within a few minutes of the incident. Wow. They were able to get her into the car, but this was just a mess because they got lost trying to find a hospital. What? Oh, I thought you were going to say that they got lost going to the car. No, I think they were really close. They got her in the car, but wherever they were at, they didn't know where they are. Where There's no cell phone service, so they can't look up where the hospital is. They're just taking wrong turns. And... They chance upon another person who was on the road, actually was a doctor. I love it when that yeah. happens. Well, he suggested that they call an ambulance. Really helpful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> because he was saying, she's not going to get to the hospital in time. She needs to be oh, airlifted yeah. out of here. That because makes otherwise, she's going to die. Yeah, she needs, she needs some cardiovascular support right now. Yeah, they did not have cell phone service yet. They still didn't have the phone service. They drove frantically, still lost. And they finally came across a park ranger, thank goodness, who's able to call the paramedics. So, wow, this is super stressful. I wonder how coherent she was when they found her on the trail. Obviously, she could stand and walk. Otherwise, there's no way she would have just they would have had to leave without her and then call. I'm not sure. I think they were probably close, maybe because there were two of them. It was helpful. Things got worse for her as she was in the hospital. The head of the intensive care unit had not seen a worse case. Oh, that's not a good sign with a population like that. Yeah, and this person had been working for at least 30 years in the unit. 
The doctors gave her a 5% chance of survival. What? Okay, how much time had elapsed from the bite to her hospital arrival? Do you know? Did not say. Oh, come on. I know. Get (laughs) with it, guys. I mean, the main article is from the LA Times. We need to hire a research assistant. Backpacker. Get together. I mean, just kidding. Let us cover Who's your your research assistant? (laughs) I need to talk to that person immediately. Yeah, excuse me. Oh, it's LA Weekly, not the LA Times. Scratch that. Sorry, guys. Her skin had puffed up, and this paper, the LA Weekly, reported that she was three times her normal size. Everywhere. It must have been everywhere, because the staff was worried that her skin might crack. And that she was suffocating. Oh, my gosh. Her airway was so swollen, her tongue couldn't fit in her mouth. What? Yeah. So, crazy. My guess is that the venom probably caused increased cell permeability, meaning the fluid is not staying where it's supposed to go, and it's just, the word is extravasating, it's going. Ooh, I like that. Into the tissue instead of staying in the blood vessels. Mm -hmm. In California that year, about 10% of all snake bites were in the Los Angeles area. How many snake bites? We'll get to it. Okay. Lorraine's case was unique. However, because of the sheer amount of anti-venom they had to administer to her. Oh, wow. So she must have had a lot of venom. Yes. That Normally when people are bitten, they require about 40 vials of 250 milligrams of the anti-venom. She required 116 vials, so more than double that dosage. That's crazy. Did you know that that stuff is really hard to come by? And if you're in certain areas of the country, you're not even going to have access to it at all. Yeah. Lorraine said later they were calling zoos and veterinarians for this stuff. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So funny that you should mention it because they were having trouble getting it. And what are you even going to say? Like, hey, we'll trade you. Like, how do you even, wh- what kind of leverage do you get on something like that? That's a good question. I'll give you a million dollars for your anti-venom. <laughs> I'll give you my firstborn child. <laughs> Do you know what anti-venom is? Um, yes, I've learned about anti-venom, but I'm not on the pulse. Well, I was just curious because you read about it. I'm like, well, obviously it's something that you get when you are injected with venom, but what's anti-venom? So I went down a rabbit hole of what it is, and the University of Melbourne website has some information underneath the School of Biomedical Sciences and it says that antivenoms are purified antibodies against venoms. Oh. Which is cool. It's kind of like a venom vaccine. Yeah, that's Just cool. Just after the fact. Yeah, after the fact. I wonder if rabies is similar to that. Mm-hmm. They are produced by injecting animals, maybe controversial, such as sheep, rabbits, or dogs, most commonly horses, with small doses of venom over time. And then they take the antibodies from the animals? But they increase the dose over time. So the animal develops a tolerance to the venom and begins to produce antibodies against the venom. When the dose of the venom injected is large, so is the amount of antibody produced. I got to say, I'm sorry, that is so cool. It is cool. It's a very long game, though, if you're, you know, slowly increasing the dose. That's why it's so expensive and hard to get. Mm -hmm. But it makes sense that they do it in horses because then, you know. Lots of antibodies, lots of blood, et cetera, True. et cetera. Maybe they should do it in elephants. Maybe they should. 
Melbourne, <laughs> get on it. <laughs> the antibodies are then harvested by drawing blood from the animal and separating the antibodies and processing them. Also not cheap, I would imagine. Yeah, I'm sure it takes a lot of time and money. The antibodies bind to the venom components in a patient's blood and then neutralize their activity. Antivenoms have been around since the 1890s. What? Isn't that crazy? And Australia was one of the first countries in the world to experiment with snake antivenoms. There's a lot of snakes. Yeah. Back to our story. Lorraine spent two weeks in the ICU. She was hooked to many tubes, ventilator, and IV lines. And she had terrible nightmares the full two weeks. Mm. She doesn't remember any specifics, but had an overwhelming feeling of fear the whole time. And it mentioned just the sound of the ventilator kind of reminded her of the hiss. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) The Crux podcast. (laughs) She miraculously pulled through, of course. Because it's a survival podcast. Oh, thanks Surprise. for reminding me. I'm, I feel so much better now. But if it hadn't been for her proximity to the hospital and her overall good health, specifically her heart from being regular about exercise, mm-hmm. she would not have made it. She recovered well and developed a sense of respect for snakes. She did a lot of research after the fact and determined that the snake that bit her was either a Mojave Green or Southern Pacific rattlesnake. It was so fast. She just knew kind of the color and... Yeah. I mean... (laughs) It was kind of speculative. Exactly. She feels really cautious in her everyday life. And the article from the LA Weekly mentioned that she was feeling like, I lived through this. Wouldn't it be silly for me to die and say a car accident or something like that? Oh, yeah. A, a bite from a snake is almost like an unexpected car accident or getting hit by lightning or something mm-hmm. where you're fine, not fine. You know, like yeah. you're doing your thing. It's normal and regular. And all of a sudden you're in the ICU for two weeks. Right. She just stepped wrong. Yeah. And then it's and just happened to be wearing shorts. It's just a kind of freak thing. So um, did you find anything in your research out about like, snake bite prevention aside from yes we'll wearing pants it. yeah well that was a big one they're like wear your pants keep but, your pants on people yeah <laughs> just keep it together <laughs> keep the pants on <laughs> she says now quote i don't have any bad feelings toward him we ran into each other at the wrong place at the wrong time i feel in some way kind of close to that snake because of the experience it brought me Though I may not feel so generous if I didn't have a leg. End quote. <laughs> oh, so she obviously went home with two legs. Yes, no amputations. So California, that year of the accident, had about 268 snake bites. Wow. And like I said, about 10% of those in L.A. or around L.A. I mean, really, though, if you think about the people, the number of people that live in L.A. and the number of people that frequent those trails, overall, the risk is probably not that high. Like, mm-hmm. What about traffic fatalities or even traffic accidents? Yeah, it's going to be higher in L.A., sure. <laughs> yeah. 8,000 people are bitten by venomous snakes yearly in the U.S., but more positively, only about 10 to 15 of those die per year. Still kind of a lot. Yeah. This is a funny fact. Most bites happen between April and October when both snakes and humans are the most active. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> yes. Deductive reasoning figured that one out. Mm-hmm. I think that's just uh, common sense. But 25% of bites are dry. That's interesting. Which means no venom was injected. Oh, wow. So you might be lucky. You still re- require treatment if you get bitten by a snake, probably just because of the wound. But Yeah, probably. And you really- just don't know. Totally. Obviously, you know if your vision's blurred and you're collapsing on the trail. But Well, yeah. It's like a smaller if you get, scale. If you get bitten by a stray dog, you're going to get the rabies shots. Yeah. 100% of the time. Even though, like, most of the time in the U.S., it's not going to be a rabbit dog. Mm-hmm. So the safety precautions are pretty much what you'd expect. Wear appropriate hiking boots, so cover those ankles up. <laughs> and long pants. Never wear sandals through wild areas. And I guess that's a good point, because I like to hike in Chaco sometimes. Not in California, Tessa. Okay, I'm not going hiking in California in my Chacos. I would think that even through pants, though, I mean, think about how sharp. They're like needle teeth. Mm-hmm. It says stick to well-used trails and avoid weeds and underbrush, and don't step or grab onto the rocky ledge where you can't see. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's a good one. Don't turn over rocks or logs if you're in an area with snakes. If you move something or roll something, roll it towards you to allow anything that's underneath it to, to escape get the other direction. That's a good point. As far as first aid, don't restrict blood by applying a tourniquet. Oh, that's interesting. Because I've heard otherwise at, somewhere else along the line. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of counterintuitive. It says don't ice it and don't suck the poison with your mouth. <laughs> then you're just going into your mouth, which is... I mean, to have venom go into your stomach acid is probably not. I mean, you're probably fine. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. I can't speak to that. I don't think that's the issue. Because I've heard this before. You see a movie where somebody gets struck by a snake. And they do always. all of those things. Yeah, always they're going to be sucking out the venom. <laughs> it's very dramatic. Suck my venom. Yeah. <laughs> I would, except this article told me not to. I'm so glad you're following the rules. Yeah, so... I looked it up because I okay. was like, why do you not suck out the venom? I see that in every um, okay. media Can I portrayal. Guess? Okay. It's ineffective. <laughs> Pretty much. It says venom spreads through the victim system so quickly, there's no hope of sucking out a sufficient volume to make a difference. And then it says cutting or sucking the wound only serves to increase the risk of infection, infection. Mm-hmm. and can cause further tissue damage. So you're actually hurting your friend if you're sucking out the venom. So the, sucking the out the venom. Is- just sorry i'm like yeah. interrupting you i'm just stumbling over my words it's fine basically get to emergency care asap mm-hmm. and probably let them know what happened to you which is pretty standard yeah so it says instead of sucking out the venom or icing it if you're in a spot that it's possible to wash the wound with soap and water do that mm-hmm. remove watches or rings that may constrict swelling and then keep the Bite below the heart if possible. Does that make sense? Actually, just as a side note, they say that if you get struck by a needle, if you have any blood-to-blood contact with someone, mm-hmm. not to, like, squeeze the wound. Like, oh. it's kind of the same idea as this venom thing. Is like, you're not going to squeeze any infectious stuff out. Like, it's already in your blood. <laughs> if you're struck in the foot or leg, don't take off your shoe. Really? Because you may not be able to put it back on, and if you need to walk out, oh, that's a that's good point. 
bad, bad thing. And then if you're like this couple who picked up Lorraine, please don't drive too fast because it says frantic high-speed driving places the victim at greater risk because of the increased heart rate. Okay, they have an increased heart rate and driving faster makes them more stressed? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, you know, parroting what this article says. I'm just Do saying, what you will. Get the person to <laughs> the hospital, but maybe you just, like, be safe about it. I'm just saying, like, if I had been bitten by a snake, the last, the <laughs> least of my concerns would be how fast you're driving me to the hospital. I'm sorry. I'm just saying. Maybe just ask the victim. <laughs> you know? Fast driving cool? <laughs> Sorry, I'm not using my blinker right now. Is that a problem? Is your heart rate not already fast from the snake that bit you and the fact that you can't walk? And also you can't breathe. Well, that's the story of Lorraine Johnson. This is the second Lorraine that we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, so that's interesting. Does Lorraine still um, frequent these trails? I'm sure she does. Yeah. This is one where there are only a few articles explaining the story. So not a lot of information about her personal life. We're just, just the snake story. We're just going to have to get her on the air and talk about it herself. Hey, Lorraine. Lorraine, what's up? Hey, girl. <laughs> you want a podcast? You want to talk to us? I know you do. You can just email us. What's the email? That's a good question. Just the crux survival at gmail.com. Okay. The crux survival at gmail.com. And See if, you there. And also, if you have any stories or know of anyone who has a story of survival, we would love it if you would share it with us. Um, or if you have a story of survival, we'd yeah. love to interview you. And don't feel like you need to reach out via the email. We have social media. Check us out on Instagram under the Crux Podcast or under our Facebook under the Crux. <laughs> yeah. We'll be there. We'll be there. Waiting. <laughs> with bated breath. <laughs> <laughs> No, we would love it, though. We want to start doing some interviews. We're really excited about it. And so if you could be a part of that, that'd be awesome. We'd love it. I hope you have an awesome week. And thanks for listening. Yeah, stay alive until next week. Bye-bye.